Good morning, Redeemer Church. My name is Jacob Garnett, and as Dirk mentioned, I am a pastoral candidate here um, by the grace of God. Uh, today, our, our reading's over uh, Hebrews chapter 2, 14 through 18, so if you want to open your Bibles and get ready to go through that passage with me, it's going to be a great joy and honor of mine today. Uh, before we do that, I'm going to pray as well for myself because I'm selfish and I'm going to need this help, uh, so please join me. Dear Jesus, uh, I just step back and just um, ask for your help. I just ask that you be glorified and magnified uh, through the preaching and teaching of your word. Um, Please encourage our Christians here today to continue to uh, run the race of faith that is set before them, even though there will be trials and temptation. I just pray that they see you as a great and big God that we can go to to overcome all of our challenges. And just thinking about Michael and Allie, and their challenges that they overcome, and just encouraged by that. So, Lord, please be with us today. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Get a little feedback, Ben. All right, we're going to keep going, though. Anyways, uh, yep, we're in Hebrews chapter 2, 14 through 18. And I think one of the most important things that we have to do when we get into this text is consider the original audience. The letter is titled to the Hebrews. And when we get into figuring out, okay, who is this audience, uh, John MacArthur has a good resource on the Grace to You website about um, who this audience is. He has an intro for all the books of the Bible. Highly recommend getting into those. But what he says is that you have Jewish believers. They're suffering rejection and persecution from other Jews. You have intellectual believers who logically can grasp the idea of the gospel. Then you have unbelievers who are attracted to the gospel, so they like the message that they're hearing. But what is really happening in the Hebrews is that this is a letter of encouragement. So John MacArthur says that these Jews that this letter was written to are tempted to hold onto the symbolic and spiritually powerless rituals and traditions of Judaism. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. What we're seeing here, just an overview again, two themes. We're seeing death and Jesus being a merciful and grateful high priest. This is a letter of encouragement to three different groups of Jewish believers, believers suffering rejection, intellectual believers, and believers attracted, unbelievers attracted to the gospel. So these Hebrews are being tempted to hold on to symbolic and spiritually powerless rituals and traditions of Judaism. Why? Why are they, why are they tempted to go back to their earlier practices of Judaism? Why are they temp- tempted to go back to sacrificing for their sins? to make five different sacrifices. Well, because of death and the fear of death, and there are mortal reasons for that, and we want to use Hebrews to really tell us why these Hebrews would have been scared of death. Hebrews 10, 32 through 34 speaks into this fear of death. Hebrews 10, 32 through 34. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. These people, these Jews were in public, being exposed to reproach, being told that they are disgusting, and being afflicted, maybe spat on, maybe they had thrown stones thrown at them, and sometimes being partners with those so who treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. They were robbed, since you knew that yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So there's this temptation. They're getting publicly humiliated for their faith in Jesus Christ, and it would be so much easier just to revert back and say, yep, I'm a Jew again. 
I'm just like you guys, the people who are being persecuted. Also, if you think about it culturally, what is happening to Christians at this time? You have Stephen being stoned in Acts 7, 54 through 60. John the Baptist beheaded, Mark 6, 14 through 29. The beheading of James the Greater by King Herod, um, the brother of John. And you have Peter arrested. So if you're a Christian and you're believing in Jesus, you're looking at Twitter basically at that time. You're getting this letter and you're saying, hmm, what is going on? We see Kenosha burning on fire. Do I want to identify with the beliefs that are contradictory to what is causing that fire? Or do I want to go and identify with them to be safe? There is a temptation to revert back to things that did not bring life. Also, the forerunner of your faith, Jesus Christ, is saying, you're going to experience persecution. If you choose to believe in me and follow me and walk in my ways and let go of the things of the past, you're going to experience persecution. Matthew 10, 22 through 23. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Sums up basically everything we just heard culturally for them. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And that last verse says a lot that if you are truly fleeing from temptation, you're fleeing from persecution, that you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes back. You're going to experience persecution. As Michael said, persecution is going to be experience of the Christian life. And this is one of the reasons why the Hebrews were tempted to revert back to their old practices. But also, there's eternal reasons. So they have moral reasons, things happening in their lifetime, beheadings, martyrdom, plundering of property, publicly humiliated, eternal reasons. Judgment is real. These are Israelites who grew up making sacrifices for propitiation of sin so that they could be clean before God. Let me read this to you, Revelations 14, 11, just to show you that judgment is real. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast in its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. Torment forever and ever. People who worship Satan, who are of death, part of sin. Judgment is real. Matthew 7, 21, the scariest verse in the Bible to me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There is a mortal reason to revert back to the things that are comfortable, to the things of death, to avoid humiliation. But there's also an eternal reason, possibly to fall to temptation, to go to things that we think bring us security. Because judgment is real. The scariest thing is to go before Christ one day and say, Jesus, I knew you. I loved you. I did miracles in your name. But Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. And then what is left for us? Revelations 14, 11. So what we're seeing in Hebrews 2, 14 through 18 is an encouragement to seek security. There's the temptation to revert back to Judaism. The anxiety to make daily sacrifices. There were five sacrifices that the Israelites used to make. Burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, and guilt offerings. Have you ever tried to quit coffee? Anybody? If you've tried to quit coffee, Mudwater knows about it. You're on YouTube. They have this other thing for you. Hey, drink Mudwater. Other people, hey, try tea. But why do we go back to coffee? Because it's comfortable. It's ministered to us. When we are depressed, when we're anxious, when we're sad, what do we look forward to? Can you say no to somebody that wants to buy you Starbucks? 
This is what the Hebrews experienced. They were saying, hey, come, to Star- come back to Starbucks with me. We know you're trying to do something new, but do you remember how good this was? Remember the security we had here? That's what's happening here. In the letter, what we're seeing is an encouragement to keep trusting Jesus. So a little bit more about this security being challenged. It's seen in John 8, 31 through 37. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And he says, or the Pharisees respond to Jesus saying, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And what this, how this connects to the passages we see in verse 15, I believe. And deliver all those who were through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So how do these two connect? Well, Jesus is going to answer that right after this. He says, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. They want to keep going to Starbucks. They want to keep making sacrifices. They don't want to try anything new because that's where their security is. They don't want to let go. So church, the question is for us, where is our security? What are the things that we try to hold on to to bring us life? For me, um, it's my finances. I went through a period of time where I was scared to open the mail for about a year. Um, Asla knows this. We would let our mail pile up anywhere, and then we eventually got a basket for the mail so the mail could pile up in the basket because I was scared to open up a bill. I had literal anxiety because I grew up not wealthy, my dad kneeling before me saying, sorry, son, that we can't afford these things for you, but I still love you. And that was very impactful on me. So money has always been very close to me. So when it comes to my security, whenever I get stressed, I always go straight to our budget. I'm like, hey, honey, we need to have a husband and wife meeting. We need to go to sidecar. We need to sit down, look at the budget, and make sure everything's planned out. That's how I'm like Israel. How are we like Israel? Because temptation, guys, is so loud. Peter likens it to a roaring lion. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And when we're suffering, it doesn't feel like everybody else is suffering. I don't feel like everybody else has financial problems because of how loud Satan's roar is of temptation. I feel like it's just me. And he wants to blot out any encouragement that I can hear from the Holy Spirit from other Christians. That way I can fall into sin. And then he can say on the day of judgment, look, Jesus, he falls into sin. He does not trust you. But what I'm going to argue is that we have a true and better hope. And that's what the author of Hebrews 2, 14 through 18 is trying to encourage these Hebrews as well. 1 Corinthians 2, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with a temptation, he will also provide a way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, beloved, flee from idolatry. So my idol, my idol was finances. So my argument here is the way to escape temptation is trusting our great high priest, who is merciful and faithful with our eternal security. Just like the Hebrews were tempted to revert back to our Judaistic practices of sacrifices for their eternal security, I believe for us it's the same thing. So verse 17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiations for the sins of the people. And I, I believe that 
This is an argument to trust God for our security because of what is said in 2 Thessalonians 3.3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So, how is Jesus a better security? Well, because he's merciful. We are children of wrath. We are deserving of destruction because when we get tempted, just like me, I'm really quick to go to the spreadsheet for the finances. Whenever something anxiety-causing happens, I go straight to the spreadsheet. And we are unable to resist that temptation just because of our, our weakness. And that's why God is merciful, because among whom, Ephesians 2, 3, all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body in the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, the rest of mankind, Christ was still patient. So, I don't know how to better illustrate this patience with things that deserve wrath other than my cat. My cat deserves wrath. So let me tell you how my cat deserves wrath. My cat knows my schedule better than I do. Jacob wakes up at 5 o'clock every morning. My cat wakes up at 4.55, and he wants to be fed. And he does not rest until he is fed. And the temptation for me, the sin, is to punt my cat like a football on Super Bowl Sunday. I give in to that temptation. He is the roaring lion, a little one, but he is the roaring lion. And the temptation is to have that thought. Jesus didn't have that thought when he sees us. We're children of wrath. He sees us meowing, meowing in annoyance. The sin, he sees us sinning, going to the spreadsheet, going to our computers for whatever else, doesn't have the desire to punt us like a football. He doesn't. He's without sin when it comes to temptation. When he became man, he was without sin. He did not have that thought. But we do. (sighs) So he is rich in mercy because of his patience with his children of wrath. Ephesians 2.4. You were loved while we were in our trespasses. So Jesus, when he sees us sinning, he doesn't punt us. He doesn't destroy the world and start over like he offered Abraham. He didn't flood the world again like he told Moses he wouldn't do. But what, what did he do? He was made lowly and left the seat of honor to be with us. Hebrews 2.17. If you guys meditate on any part of this verse when you go home, please meditate on this. Made flesh like us in every respect. Those two words there. Every respect. He was tempted by cats that are annoying, but what yet without sin, the great mystery. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. He can sympathize you with you in your temptation. He knows how annoyed I am with my cat or with my finances because he's experienced that temptation. But the beautiful thing about Christ being a merciful and faithful high priest, I think, is his endurance. God called Jesus to complete the will that was set before him. Hebrews 12.4 None of you have endured temptation to the point of shedding your blood. Jesus did. None of us have resisted wanting to punt the cat. None of us has resisted going to the spreadsheet. None of us have resisted maybe getting um, harsh with our wives. But Jesus resisted the temptation to the point of blood. Let's go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Before the hour of his death, Jesus goes to pray and be before God. One thing I really want to highlight here that says a lot about this story is Luke twenty-two forty through 46. He asked the disciples to pray that they not enter temptation. 
I think there's a layer here that's unseen. There's a spiritual warfare going on with Jesus. This is the ultimate temptation. Father, take this cup from me. To pass the cup, to inherit the promises of uh, the devil when he was tempted 40 days and 40 nights. You can have this world. There's that temptation there. But what did Jesus do? There's a medical condition called hematohydrosis. It's a rare clinical condition of sweating blood. That reminds you of Hebrews 12, 4. None of you have endured temptation to the point of shedding your blood. So hematohydrosis, a rare medical condition, it may occur when a person is suffering from extreme stress. For example, facing his or her own death. Very few cases of hematohydrosis have been reported in literature. So just to show you that this is a real medical condition. An Italian woman sweating blood from her head and palms was recorded in 2017 doing this for three years. In 2013, there were 18 reported cases of hematohydrosis. If you have trouble struggling with the humanity of Jesus Christ, this is one piece of evidence that maybe you should take to him in prayer. What was it like to be so stressed to the point of shedding your blood? How do you resist that temptation? So what makes Jesus a merciful and faithful high priest, I think, is his endurance for us to resist temptation, to be the perfect sacrifice. Jesus was faithful to endure temptation to pass the cup of wrath of God. Jesus endured. Hebrews 7, 23, 23, 25. The former priests were many in number. So these priests of Israel who offered sacrifices daily because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently. Who is he? Jesus. Because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save, to make the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. So he is able to endure temptation. He is able to make propitiations of sins. The other priests could not. And this is a temptation of the Hebrews to fall back to the old ways, who could not keep sacrificing for them because they were stopped by death. But Jesus, who is our great high priest, he continues forever with his one and only sacrifice. It is finished. Our sins are paid for. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is encouraging these Jews to take hold of, is this better and new covenant. So our better security is through Jesus, church. Jesus has made a way. He was made flesh, tempted like us by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights on a fast. Half of us can't go half a day without breakfast. Tempted by the devil 40 days and 40 nights on a fast. Suffered like us to the point of sweating and shedding blood. Faithful to complete the will of the Father. Destroyed the bondage of death, which Satan held through sin. Sins are forgiven. Satan no longer has power over you, which was mentioned in verse 14. Christ now holds the keys of death and Hades. Death has, no longer has power over you. You have a great high priest who has made one sacrifice for all of your sins. And he stands forever, sits forever at the right hand of God. Revelation 1.18, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. The great high priest who is alive forever and ever, able to make propitiations for our sins. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. No longer Satan. So we need to trust Jesus with our eternal security our eternal life, our way to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He completed the will of God and sits down at the right hand of the Father. He is the great high priest who offered the once and for all sacrifice, Hebrews seven twenty seven. You have been purchased 
by the blood church. Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am sure that neither death, which we just mentioned, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing. There is nothing that will separate. Death is no longer something to be worried about. The Hebrews needed to hear this, that they have a great high priest who has purchased a way for them to be close to God, to have 24 access to him. They no longer have to make sacrifices to a priest who can go into the holies of holies for them. They can approach God all the time, anytime. John 10, 28 through 30. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is, a greater, than all, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You guys sit as Christians in the hand of God. Nobody is able to snatch you out of his hand. Your security is paid for. You sit in a secure place. You are covered by his wing. Nobody can take you out of the hand of God. If you guys were little kids, you had a very strong dad, and you could talk to your, um, your friends at, um, at school and elementary on the, on the playground, like whose dad could beat up whose dad. Nobody could beat up our dad. That's the bragging right we have. Revert back to children. Think about that bragging right. Nobody can beat up our dad. Nobody can snatch us from his hand. So church, with this information, seeing how the ancient Hebrew Israelites were tempted to revert back to old practices, now knowing that they have a greater, merciful, and faithful high priest who endured death, rose again on the third day, and sits at the right hand of God, making propitiations for our sins, what do we do with this? And my challenge to you is to embrace the free gift of eternal security in Christ. It's a free gift not labored for. You don't have to make sacrifices. You're going to enter sin. It will happen, but it's been paid for. doesn't mean we abuse grace or we abuse sin. We have a Holy Spirit that ministers to us and convicts us of righteousness and helps us choose better ways, better things, better ways to react to the cat. So I've never punted the cat because by his, by his luck, the Holy Spirit in me. So it's a free gift. You don't labor for it. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Be known and experience fullness of joy. Be heard, Isaiah 30, 18 through 19. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. For people shall dwell in Zion. In Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. Church, you have a God who waits to hear for your cry. You have a God that holds you in your hand. Embrace the internal security of Jesus Christ. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. This is what was purchased for you. You can go to your creator, the one who knitted you together in your mother's womb, who knows you, who knows your temptation. Hebrews 17 again, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those when being tempted. Church, he knows you. He holds you in your hand. He's made you. He knows your temptation. He knows my temptation. He wants to minister to you. Why? Because he was made like you in every respect. We have a great high priest who can sympathize with us. Charles Spurgeon. And all this was necessary that he might be able to enter into their feelings and represent those feelings before God. And that he might, when speaking to them for God, not speak as a superior, looking down upon them, but as one who sat by their side, a brother born for adversity, bone of their bone, 
flesh of their flesh. If anybody's ever got anxious, like I was this morning before I preached, you start sweating. Jesus experienced that. He sweated blood. He knows your anxiety. If you've ever been able to not get out of bed because of depression, he's, he's felt that. He's felt that temptation to stay and not move, but he continued to the cross. He was made like you in every respect. He suffered and was tempted, is able to help those who are being tempted. So church, my application for you today is to go find refuge, find sympathy, encouragement to keep running the race of faith, find forgiveness, find comfort and embrace in the arms of our great high priest, Jesus Christ.